Hi, and thanks for joining us for a brand new episode of Song Stripper. We've got a fantastic guest today in Egg White, one of the most successful and prolific songwriters of his generation. This was recorded remotely in mid-July 2020, so please excuse the odd click and crackle. And just a quick warning that this podcast contains some bad language and also some very bad language. So if you're with kids, either block their ears or teach them the words first so there'll be no shocks. Anyway, on with the show. When you are fortunate enough to have a hit songwriter as prolific as Egg White on your podcast, it creates a problem. What smash hit song to choose? It's a bit like a box of celebrations, also tempting. Except for Bounty, they're disgusting. Egg's hits have included Leave Right Now for Will Young, Warwick Avenue for Duffy, which we featured on our earlier episode with his other co-writer Jimmy Hogarth, the terrific You Give Me Something breakthrough hit for James Morrison, he's written for Pink, Sam Smith, Mary J. Blige, Celine Dion and so many others. We've chosen a hit today that brought to attention of the world one of the biggest selling artists of all time, Adele, with her second single, the Grammy Award winning Chasing Pavements. Welcome, Egg. Hello. Yeah, this is as though we've just started a natural conversation and there wasn't half an hour of technical <laughs> crap before. <laughs> Hi, Egg. Let's start with the actual hit itself. I mean, you're trying to write a hit single for a hot new artist. So you create a track that features six four bars, complex chords, jazzy two five one sequences, and old school instrumentation that could have been around 50 years earlier. It clearly worked, but were you thinking of writing a hit or just a song you wanted to write at the time? Okay, I'll go all the way back to the beginning actually, which is right. that my manageress, in fact, I knew Jonathan Dickens too. Jonathan Dickens was Adele's manager yeah. and still is. Um, and Lizzie knew Jonathan and Jonathan had Somehow, somehow, I don't think Jonathan even sent it to Lizzie, but a CD got out and it had Daydreamer and Hometown on it. Had three other songs as well, which were good, but not as good. Yeah. But those two were just absolutely jaw dropping. And they were, you know, they weren't the same as record. They hadn't got strings on or anything, but they were all the same feeling. Mm. Maybe even better. I don't know, but absolutely staggering. Um, and Lizzie was Jonathan, 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 Jonathan. <laughs> you just got to send her eggs away. Um, please, please. And she kind of hounded Jonathan. Um, and Jonathan said, yeah, all right. Um, and Adele came in, I suppose she was 17 at that point. Um, wow. And you know, when someone walks in, they're really clever and you can kind of feel it, you yeah. know, they're not, it's quite rare though. You know, it is rare. It <laughs> yeah. is rare when someone comes in, they're like intimidatingly crisp right. and straight up, you know, especially mm. when they're 17 and you know, I was, what a fuck, I don't know, it was yeah. 12 years ago. So I was 40. Um, I'd had hits. I'd had one hit, I think, maybe two. I don't know. So basically, she comes in and we and she comes in. We do a day's work straight away, um, and it goes pretty well. And I play some. And we're, I'm thinking the Cure and slightly chasing the Cure's ass. It's right. up tempo. It's really fast, like 140 beats a minute or something. Yes. The song got on the album called Tired. Right. Um, and it starts and it's just kind of, it's very electronic. We're not aiming for the money. We're just aim. I'm thinking, oh, this girl's clever. I better not patronize her with anything sentimental or shitty. Okay. You know, I better pretend that I'm crisper than I am. <laughs> um, and anyway, she comes up with a lovely verse and it's all fine and dandy and great. But we don't go all that fast. It must have been a short day because we get to the end um, and we reconvene the next morning. She comes in at 11. You, and do by you mean 11:30, you didn't get too far? You mean you hadn't written a complete song? No, right. we'd got a verse yeah. and that's it. A great verse, a really nice feeling. Yes. But it's like a doodly noodle thing, you know. Hold my hand while you me down. It don't leave just big 
Anyway, and about half an hour in the next morning, she goes, I think we'd better pull this. I think we've tried our best and it's not working. And I shit my pants because it's really good. And I just, no, 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 no. Give me 20 minutes. Right. And, I had, and I went mad. You know, that thing where you've been all careful yep. for six hours, all carefully moving forward, you know, everything nice and logical. Yeah, the really crisp yeah. drum sound. It's all really good yep. and tasteful. And then you suddenly realise, no, shit, it's a fucking corpse on the table. <laughs> and your arse falls out. Yeah. And I did everything I could to breathe life into it. Yes. And it was so obvious. We'd hardly used any chords. We got all of our cards still in our hand yes. from a technical point of view. Yes. Um, and I just, and yeah, every time I'd, you know, just thrown this tasteful little card, you know, it just died on the floor. Wow. Anyway, so then I went into full on CPR mode and went mad, um, particularly with a Juno 106 on resonant anyway, and <laughs> just went bonkers. And suddenly it was great. And suddenly she's got the chorus. And by 12.15, ah. Oh. You know, it's ah oh, the relief. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it lives. It died. It lost yeah. its pulse. Anyway, I'm tired of trying. Your teasing ain't enough at all. Providing your time when I don't get nothing. We bought it back, finished it up with grace, um, and it got on. It was good. Um, what amazing presence of mind, though, for an unsigned or a nearly newly signed artist, 17 years old, to actually say to you know, established songwriter, well, let's just cut that one there, you know, because most people would probably carry on or, or wouldn't wouldn't have got to that point. You know, it shows why yeah. she's presumably done, one of the reasons she's done oh, so God, well. She's, is, I mean, she's yeah. really clever. I haven't seen her for decades, yeah. but yeah. she's clever as clever. I'm right. sure she's just, I'm just grabbing a chair. Sure. I'm sure she's as clever now as she always was sure. then. Um, the, the elephant in the room when, when you're songwriting or when you're collaborating with two or three people is the moment that one person puts their hand up and goes, this is shit, guys. And I, I, personally, I find that liberating because uh, not only because I'm usually the person to say it, but because everybody else goes, oh, God, yeah, let's move. Let's do something new. So it's not quite interesting to hear you say that uh, you kept faith in this idea, even though it sounded like it was. It, 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 yeah, in that example. You were desperate. Yeah, I, did, yeah. I mean, were you desperate yeah, just, or were you inspired? I think I also knew if she goes... If I lose her here, yeah. I've lost her. I mean, yeah. period, yes. full stop. Yes. You know, not, I'm not, this is not just that we'll lose something that's good, but it's like, I think it was just, it marked a transition from care to carelessness. And, and in a positive way. Yeah, in a really positive way. You know, that actually calibrating when to be tasteful and when to be desperate is a big <laughs> thing. It's a big thing. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, when, when are you actually just fighting for your life? Yeah. Um, and when, you know, I, I mean, these things happen in life. Sure. When you're doing your loft conversion and your neighbor's going, oh, yeah, I'll fill it in for you. I'll do it for you. And then suddenly the builders are coming in two days and go, fucking hell, the, you know, the, the neighbors haven't filled in mm. the thing. Mm. And yeah. you go there and, and they go, and then you suddenly realize they're not going to fill the thing in. Yeah. And, then, you know, yeah. that, but when you go into war, it's a very painful transition to make. Yeah, from... I can't work without a panic of a deadline on me. And if I've, if someone yeah, says to me, Tim, same. you've got three, you know, give me a song in three months' time, I'll do it in 89 days and a half. Because if I'm not doing that, and I've always been like that my whole life, and it's a shocker, but, you know, exams, I was up till four in the morning, you know, revising, I still talk, you know, and it's yeah. a terrible thing to do, but it works, you know. And maybe some people need that pressure on them to produce their best work. I think most people do. I definitely do. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Don't don't give me a long deadline. No. Uh, don't say oh you've got all the time. Get it right. Go no no no. I'll get it. I'll get it right now. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Um, or wrong, but it'll okay. be as wrong in three months as it is now. Um, 
Anyway, so it, it, that, that song ended up good. And then I don't know how long it was later, maybe three weeks or something that she came back in. And then she comes in and then she goes, look, I know you write slushy love songs yeah. uh, wow. and smushy ballads. <laughs> yeah. you know. um, I think we should write a smushy love song ballad today. Um, and then I go, oh, great, great. That's, you know, that is my stock in trade, my bread and butter. Yeah. Of course I'll join you on that. How brilliant. Um, and, uh, and, and, yeah, what have you got in mind? She goes, well, I really like that song Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls. Oh, yeah. And I go, oh, fuck, I can't really remember it. So when we play it, and I go, well, it's the first and the chorus are an octave apart. It's really simple. It's like in Fast 9-8. Yeah. Okay. All right. I get you. I can see it. It's even pretty powerful. Okay, well, let's chase that down the road then. Right. Anyway. I don't know how long we chased that down the road, but maybe. Anyway, I then play some fairly lukewarm, boring chords. Nothing good. On a Fender Rhodes, as I recall. Yeah. Um, downstairs in the basement. And I think I'm playing her cold fucking custard. Uh, <laughs> yeah, really not good stuff at all. Just, you know how it is. Yeah, just fishing, they, fishing for some, some inspiration. Yeah, I bet you anything is in the same key as Iris. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Fuck, I bet it is. We should probably play Iris and just have a quick listen and see if it's the same key. Anyway, if it is, then that would explain why Chasing... Anyway, okay. the chords bear no relation, so I can say this in clean conscience because I'm not going to get nicked for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and then she... And I really don't think I'm doing her proud. And then probably 10 minutes in, she starts singing. And you know, it's one of those things where you go from, oh God, I'm doing shitty work here and what an embarrassment and all that kind of thing too. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Okay. You know, Eureka, this yeah. is just so lovely. It's such a nuanced verse. And I mean, it yeah. was probably more or less intact the way she sung it. Hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the, there was a moment where, where your chord playing and, and her uh, singing the melody kind of fell into a nice little groove. She just, I'd just been playing the chords. And yeah. to my ears, I know roughly what the kind of melodies I'd be writing over it. Um, and it's probably 10.30 in the morning and a not very nice morning and all that kind of thing. And I have no reason to expect that something really good's going to come out. And, you know, you have your expectations, you've got your ways of doing it. You know, I'm seeing a threshold on this thing of about six out of 10. Yeah. And then she sings something and it's eight and a half or nine out of 10. Yeah. Words are there and everything. Wow. And it's just delightful. And I just remember my energy completely changing yeah. Um, yeah. from, oh, I know where we're headed now. We're headed into Boringville um, <laughs> to... You know, oh no, oh, I have absolutely no idea where we're headed now, but this is really? going to be interesting. Because technically, yeah. what she's doing, really, I suppose, is singing sevenths over your. So you've got the C minor chord in the beginning yeah, of the verse. Yeah, it's pretty brave, straight up. Yeah, I don't, I I don't mean, think I played it as a no, seventh. No, and I don't normally, you know, if I'm writing something generally for myself, I'll. It's hard to get your head in, your head in that space of singing at the first note being a seventh. Often you might go there later in the verse, but yeah. she's straight in with the kind of. What is it? What you know, key's it in? Uh, C, yeah. Well, that's C, C minor, minor, isn't it? The first yeah. chord, yeah. So E flat is okay. the... Uh, to me, the biggest surprise, and the thing when I look back on it in retrospect and go, why did I like... Well, yeah, why is that song good? Mm. And actually, what's most interesting about it to me, and, it, and lots of our other songs have got it too, which is a, it's very much slower and lazier timing than is common in either ballads or anything. Yeah. You know, in pretty much any songs. You know, if you look at... I was listening to someone like you trying to rip it off the other day, um, <laughs> and... And my God, it's slow. Yeah. Oh, friend. Why? Yeah, it's, it's, it's so much slower than anyone else's delivery in you terms mean, you, of... You mean sl slow in that uh, the vocal delivery is behind the beat? Or you mean... No, the, the, the I just mean in terms of the pace of... That's whatever you call them, phoneme, phenomes or whatever, you know, just oh, uh, yeah. the sheer number of utterances made by a human, the numbers are right down there. 
Right. Um, Which makes you know, it easier to understand. Song, a Taylor Swift song is going to come at you really bloody fast. It's going to mm. be, I don't know, yeah. 27 phenomes in a five-second chunk. You know, Adele might be running at three. Maybe that's because um, she's got confidence in her voice and doesn't have, because, I mean, a lot of people probably sing fast because they're not going to hang on the notes, whereas she doesn't have that issue because she's such a strong singer that maybe then she's happy to... Maybe. I don't know, but it's... Yeah. Can I, can, can I just uh, butt in with the... Uh, when it hits the chorus, so you've gone from hitting the seventh on the verse right and and then on the chorus you've got the yeah which is a ninth yeah so, but it's a nine but it's the same bloody note isn't it yep it is yeah it's the same note it's the same note up an octave ah iris uh, so she probably had iris in her mind the yeah, whole bloody yeah. time didn't she <laughs> One thing I, I really want to, um, this is the bit I really, really love, Egg. I'm imagining that, that you, these changes, this Should I give up or should I just keep... That quick transition between those minor sevenths, it's, a, it's sort of a bit random, isn't it? Yeah, it is really random. But at that point, we were running like crazy. So she's done a verse. You know, I've been serving her this, you know, one bar, one fucking chord thing. And she suddenly does a verse which massively transcends what I'm expecting. I mean, it goes way beyond it. And suddenly I'm engaged. And the two of us are running. It probably wasn't long. It was probably half an hour between that moment where she shows her hand and I realise, oh, this child has a good hand. Yeah, right. um, yeah. Probably between that and we've got the whole chorus. Oh, a few things happened, but it's probably, we're probably talking about our 20 minute, half hour time wow. frame now. Because wow. 90% um, of the time, suddenly. I think if you're writing that song, the, uh, if you're writing that song and it was going to be boring, the average songwriter would write this kind of thing. Um. You're only doing like a half yeah, a chord. Yeah, you'd probably sit there, you wouldn't, wouldn't be you? Do, you'd yeah. be like doing a chord of last for the you know, for two bars, but you're sort of throwing a chord. You're literally doing a passing G minor, going to the C minor, going to the F, and it really pushes you emotionally when you're listening to it. You don't expect it at all. And the melody would still work with the boring chords, but having that behind it yeah. really drives it on, which I think is why it's... And it throws you as well as a listener, because you're kind of like, well, where's the one? Now, it's obvious, you know, you're not... There's nothing weird there with it's you know it's four four, but it it makes you think. Well, hang on, have they just done something weird there on a the time signature? And you have to uh, listen to it a well, few the truth times. Is we were probably just as surprised as the listeners. Right. You know, um, it was quick. It was quick work at that point. Fantastic. Suddenly, you know, it's it's just suddenly it's two. It felt a bit like you know two kids running down the road oh, with uh, hoops. Lovely. You know, lovely image. Uh, didn't last all that, long, that long, but yeah. you know, for for a couple of hours, it's just or an hour or something. Yeah. You know, it was there was just a bit where it's like. Oh, we can do this. Yeah. <laughs> a surprise. What a surprise. Yeah. I remember, though, there was another thing. So basically, I can't really, you know, that transition to having the chorus. Anyway, so the first half of the chorus has happened. Should I give up or should I just keep chasing pavements, even if it leads nowhere? And then I go, and then, of course, we repeat. We go, should I give up or should I? And she goes, no, 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 no. Fuck yeah. off. <laughs> no, we don't repeat. Right. No. Yeah. Should I be a waste? It's like, what, what, what? No, don't do that. <laughs> no, you're an idiot. Yeah. You're an idiot. But, but oh, fuck, I've got to follow you because yeah. you got us this far. Oh, Christ. <laughs> so... Um, so then, you know, I, 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 I kind of get a moment, I mean, a proper moment where I think, ah, she's, she's going to kill it here with complexity, yep. but 
Now she knew what she was doing. She could no, pull us absolutely. out of the hole and she guided us both to the other side of the river. Are, are, um, you, are you a fan of, um, uh, to me, there's, there's quite a bit of a vibe of Burt Bacharach and I'm, and I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm like a massive Bacharach. fan. I love Bacharach. All those timing corners, of course, it's got to be all that. And those, be uh, those chord Burt, flavors too. Of they're, they're quite, really, you know, four note chords yeah. and quite um, with the melody and that, singing. And my friend, is why I haven't had a hit for bloody years. <laughs> no, carry on. Are you kidding? <laughs> Really? Oh. No, it's just it couldn't be less flavour for a moment. I mean, it might get its moment again. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, but I love that stuff. Of course I love it. Of course I love it. Yeah. Song stripper. Hey, Song stripper fans. This is Astral Drive. If you like the music of Todd Rundgren, or classic 70s songwriters Sunbleach Rock with soulful vibes Let's take a trip Astral Drive Now available on Spotify, Apple Music or Lojinx Records What were your inspirations as a, 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 you know, as, as a pop consumer, as a teenager? Oh, I really liked XTC so okay. I was born in 66, so yeah. around yeah. about 80. I remember my brother had Tonic for the Troops by Boontown Rats. We loved that. Yeah. Had the, the XTC album with Making Plans for Nigel on yeah. uh, Drums and Wires. No, it wasn't. Was it Drums and Wires? Drums and Wires, it was, it was wires. yeah. We played the crap out of that. Yeah. Um, and then we went back and listened to earlier XTC records. And then suddenly, bang, black music. Yeah. Uh, so I really didn't catch the punk thing. You know, the right. stuff I liked was like frigging in the rigging, you know, all the post-punk stuff that everyone right. turns their back on as being juvenile and So you terrible. got into soul music, you're saying, like... Uh, well, then suddenly... Into Motown suddenly, or Philadelphia yeah, you know, or... Suddenly, I, what was the transition? I think the transition was reading an interview with John Lydon where he goes, yeah, all well, I'm listening to now is the Jacksons. And me right. going, I kind of like the Jacksons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, maybe it's legitimate to like this stuff. Yeah. Um, and then... Yeah, and then Steely Dan, listened to a lot of Steely Dan. Yeah. I suppose it's about 82, 83 by now. So somehow, you know, big, big transition. I think Bow Wow Wow were a big thing. Went to see them a couple of times. They were absolutely amazing. Really? Uh, well, yeah. I always thought that was kind of um, a, a, a slick uh, Malcolm. What was the manager? Malcolm McLaren. Yeah, Malcolm McLaren. Did you ever see him live? No, I, I, I love the record. Mike Chapman produced that record. You know, the, did he? I didn't know. Um, you know Mike Chapman from Chin and Chapman, the songwriter? Yeah, of course writer. I do, yeah. And, Bloody genius. And, well, exactly. Track so when you hear a record like that and you go, it's produced by Mike Chapman, you go like, there you go. I didn't imagine the band. I imagined oh, it, they could all it play. might. Could they? Right? Oh, okay. Jesus, they could really play. And she right. was, and it was just by, basically everyone was about 15 in the audience and it was yeah. just the best smell you've ever been in in your life. You know? <laughs> uh, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, when you're writing the melody for Chasing Pavements, uh, would you have w would you be batting that back and forth with Adele? Would you be saying, you know what, um, that one phrase there, could you sing this? No. Normally, I would say yes, but in this particular case, the verse is entirely her, yeah. and then there's no pre, and I think, in retrospect, and I might be wrong, I think should I give up might have been me. Yeah. And that right. I think is it. Yeah. And I think every fucking word on that song and every yeah. other bit of melody apart from the downbeat phrase, which might have been me and might not, is yeah. her. Mm. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, nothing. I just didn't even get in the way. Um, I'm just tracking her and going, what about this? And the two of us are pushing each other on, but she is entirely right. I know the words, apart from possibly the first line of a chorus, are her. Right. And I even think that's her. I think that's a I great... all the melodies are her. So I'm the wrong guy to ask about the melodies. I was a witness to something. But in the words, I, I think there's, a, uh, there's that lovely um, uh, bittersweet thing about... Uh, you know the chords are it's it's the words are searching and so, you know she's she's they're lovely giving up and then but the chords are also never arriving at a home that they are also kind of the moment it hits yeah. the c minor it, it's moved on yeah and, and often yeah. um you know you actually hang on you do hang on the e flat at the end of the chorus i think uh and then it goes straight back to the verse and it's like oh okay that's quite because i'm always fighting yeah. the root note my thing always is like and I think a lot of songs, they fight the root chord. And it's like, don't go there. Because the moment you go there, you've lost the tension. But you're happy yeah. to go there at the end and just hang on it. Well, maybe after that, the they've both come or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, you know. <laughs> exactly, it is that. That's what it is. Exactly, that's exactly the, that's, that's, I, I'm, that's I'm the sorry, best description I'm, I've heard of the root chord, yeah. I think this is going to be our <laughs> filthiest episode ever. And I'm really pleased about it. Um, the, post, uh, the post-coital root chord. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's so, a, there's more stories on this song, though. Um, yeah. So, basically... I think the middle eight happened next day. I think it could have been a two-day session. Right. But I think we basically, on that first day, by about three o'clock, we know what it is. I've probably even got the drums down. I've certainly got the Fender Roads down or whatever it is. We have a track. Right. And, so you've, and written, you've, been, you've written the bridge blind. You've no, got, we haven't done the bridge yet. I think the bridge oh. was the next day. I'm pretty sure the bridge was the next okay. day. Mm. Um, so we've got the track there we've got an actual physical we've got a track so basically then it's time to sing it it's three in the afternoon it's the moment of truth and and she's sitting down and i and and she sings it one time and i realize and my ass falls out and i realize <laughs> i'm the only one who's been singing this hard in the room yeah. she's been singing it quiet the whole time oh. and she sings it really sweet and really quiet and and it's shit. No. Um, it's just got no force at all. And I realise it has to have force. And I look at her and I go, do it again, would you? <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then I think I say, you know, maybe a little harder in the chorus. And she goes, I don't really, really do that kind of thing. That's not really what I am. And then I suddenly realise she's fucking right. That isn't what she does. Right. Um, she's not a belter. Shit. And I right. think back about Daydream and Hometown and the tunes I've yep. heard. And I realised they've got a nice hardness in the mid-range in the voice, but she never belts it. She's not mm. a belter. Right. right. And I suddenly realise, and I get that moment where I realise, yeah, the only person who's been singing this really, really hard in the room is me. All right. Um, and she, so she's kind of un underselling it in some respects. Yeah. And it's yeah. all B-flats too. So you can't chicken out on a B-flat. Uh, and and no. she goes, oh, fuck it. And she stands up. And I remember the chair popping out from behind her and she lifts up the mic you know, and goes, fuck, oh, fuck, okay, fine. And, and, and the second take and the third take of a record. Wow. And she stands up and I remember, I even, I mean, it must have met, I mean, she had, okay, this is obviously a bit private, but I'd nicked my, I hadn't nicked my analyst's chair. I'd been in an analysis at that point probably for about <laughs> six or seven years. So when anyway, Fox is older, no, I must have stopped. I must be about four years after my analysis has finished. Um, and my analyst had this lovely chair 
a real bloody beauty, a kind of metal and plastic, really high quality 1950s English chair, a real yeah. beauty, a chair for life. Anyway, and I come out of the place where my analysis was and I saw one of them dumped in a skip <laughs> at the bottom of the stairs oh, okay. outside the Anna Freud Centre. Anyway, so I plonk it on the back of my moped and I ride home with it. And it was that chair that Adele stands up and pushes behind her and stands up from. Um, so anyway, obviously at that point, I must have been in such you know horror that I really thought we'd written something really bloody good. And I realised, yes. fuck it, it's all for nothing. Um, anyway, and then she sings two more takes and that, that's the record. Uh, nice. She never sung it again. She didn't come in and say, oh, can I pick it up? I think there are three takes in total. And I think the second two, it's comped between takes two and three. It was great singers. It's not about singing in time or in tune. It's about uh, catching the right vibe for the song. It's just about inhabiting the line. I remember around about that time, that time in the album afterwards, you'd see her just before the cameras went live. Or the camera's there and she's standing there and she's on her own. It's like the classic Adele moment and all the lights go down. And then you see the eyes slightly roll back in her head. Do you know what I mean? A couple of times I'm doing, before doing someone like you, have a look at those footages from around right. about then, whenever it was 2010 or 12 or whatever yeah. it was. And you'll just have a look in her eyes. She just does this thing. You just see her just stop and she's just making a reconnection with mm. the thing, with the root of the song. What a great thought for any singer. But it comes back to, I think, to why she's so successful and why people connect with her is the authenticity and we always talk about this on the podcast but you know she when people when she sings people believe her and yeah. that's not just technique obviously that's no, where, where uh, technique, that's, yeah. no it's it's writing from your heart she's got a nonchalance i think about her when she sings which is probably what you're talking about when she said she doesn't she hasn't felt it yeah. it's and maybe and that, again that's kind of people can relate to it she's like a cool friend that people think they've got if you like yeah. um Whereas you hear other technically perfect singers who might come out of the US who are amazing singers, but you, you don't always feel like it's their song they're singing. Whereas with Adele, whether she's written it, co-written it, whatever, it, it's, she makes it her own. Yeah, it's that line between speech and pitch. It really matters. Mm. You know, if, you, if it's all pitch, you're kind of boring. If it's all speech... That's a fantastic point, Egg. Uh, fan of Bob Dylan? You heard his new record. Nope. It's a bloody banger. His new I've heard the single, the, uh, the 10 minute single. I haven't heard no, that. No, I played the whole thing. It. It's fantastic. Oh, okay. I mean, it's good, fantastic. Good, good. If you've got a lengthy spell of cleaning, it's just ideal. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> his voice, I, I love his tone even now. Yeah, it's better now than ever before. Lou Reed, too. You know. Yeah. What is it? What's it? It's, it's sweet, Jane. Yeah, Listen Lou to his fucking. It. It's just the most amazing thing. It's, you know, it's between laughing, he's taking the piss. You know, it's got all the to and fro of a really brilliant yeah, yeah. speaker. Song stripper. Hey, this is Tim Jackson here, and you're listening to highlights from my debut album, Better Late Than Never, available now on all good streaming sites. It's been called a melodic slice of power pop. That's Better Late Than Never by Tim Jackson. So, uh, back to Chasey Pavements. Is that you playing everything? Yeah, I think so. And uh, what order would you have played things in? I know the Rhodes went first because it was written on the Rhodes. So Rhodes went first, probably electric guitar second, probably drums third, bass fourth. That was probably as much okay. as went down on the first day. Sounds and like it's, I, I was, was sure it was a whirly, but obviously it's a Rhodes. But in my head, it was definitely a word. Oh, maybe to it was a whirly. 
I didn't have a whirly. And then maybe it's not. I think it's a Rhodes. I, I borrowed my mate. I borrowed oh, okay. Johnny. I borrowed Johnny's Rhodes at that Well, point. you were there, I mean. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I have a look. If it was a whirly, it was a plug-in. It was a sample right, of my right, mate right. Toby's. And if it was, uh, if it was a Rhodes, then it was Johnny, who used to do George Michael's production. Oh, right. The second name. It was Johnny's Rhodes, which you then took Johnny back. Douglas. Johnny Douglas's Rhodes, yeah. Ah, maybe it was a Whirly sample. It's probably a Whirly sample. It's noises. Fuck that Whirly sample, though. It had really bad clicks because back then, you know, you'd get that thing where you just only had like four seconds of yeah, memory. Yeah. The uh, drum um, sounds phenomenal, though. I mean, I was... I, I had a nice little drum oh. room um, in this same place as where I'm now, but now it's, this is a, this lovely cave. Um, but basically, back then, it was four foot by five, four foot six yeah. with a six foot ceiling. Um, and then you put the bass drum mic was basically the bass drum was the mic was in front of the bass drum. But then I had another one just outside the room and it had this low end trap that just went mad after the note. Um, and then because the room was six foot high, you got a thump at about yeah. 190. Right. And so that picked up the bottom end of every single yeah. snare. Pretty well, much. God willing. It's interesting. I've got a similar shape room here. In my And we love the sound. We don't quite know what we've done to get it. So we don't mess around with it too much. It's the but, room. It'll be the yeah. dimensions. It'll be a six foot. Six foot's the bottom, bottom end but of the I've snare. got a friend who's a good songwriter and he always says to me, if you get a good snare sound, the rest of the drums generally take care of themselves. And uh, yeah. And he, I think oh, he's obsessed with snare sounds. Um, he's not wrong. He's not I've got six snares. That I right. rotate them. I keep them tuned. You know, they go yeah, yeah, off. Yeah. Or, you know, you just wake up one day and it sounds like crap. And you go, but this was good last week. And, you know, I got two high-pitched ones. I, I, you've got to have enough snares. Yeah, they're all cheap. Sure. I bought a Ludwig, fucking 300 quid, and it shit. Mm -hmm. And all the reviews were so good. And it's just a shitty fucking drum. I, um, have, I have a Ludwig Black Beauty. Uh, uh, it's a real, gets me out of, gets me out of jail every oh. time. And doesn't yeah. it come down to the player, ultimately? No, it doesn't. Some drums just really sound good. Of course it comes down to a player. Yeah, totally. And I've heard all the stories about how John Bonham got on his kid's kit. I've heard two stories about Bonham. One was he got on his kid's kit when his kid was about four and it just sounded like Bonham. And then the other story was a friend of mine was playing for Plant and Plant got the drum kit from Led Zepp 2 out and he spent two days getting the whole thing going and really tuning it just right, right and working on it. And he said, and I played it, it's just a shit drum kit. <laughs> and Led Zepp too, you know, best drum sound in history. So it was Bonham and the way yeah. he hit it. And there's no question. But for the vast majority of other drummers, you know, there are real differences between snares. Mm. And how to tune a drum kit's a dark, bloody art that I haven't got the hang of. Um, so that's why I keep lots of snares around, just because one or two of them will be coming home at the time. So, uh, Egg, you're very prolific. Um, what's the secret to being remaining so prolific? Oh, so there's a real fucking trade here, isn't there? You know, I really, really would like, I feel frequently, I mean, not frequently, permanently humiliated by, it's just how it is. It's just fucking life, isn't it? But I just, by the fact that I don't know how to get stuff <laughs> into the world and out into the world, you know, it's just, it's, well, it's just very little stuff goes, you know, in a great fucking year, I'll write a hundred songs and one might have some sort of public life. Wow. It's going much, much better a few years ago. But actually, if I look back over, you know, because I'm 53, I've been writing songs since I was 17. So that's 35 years of writing songs. It was 17 years before anything kicked off at all. Hmm. Um, and then there was a brief period between 2003 and 2009, something like that, like a five, six year period hmm. where everyone's just all over me. And it's all great. But even in that period, I was frequently humiliated. You know, I'd write songs with people and I'd hear the songs that that person wrote with someone else and go, oh, how did I miss that? And like Lana Del Rey, 
you know, me and her write a couple of sweet, silly, up-tempo mm. pop tunes. How could I have fucking missed her bloody great baritone voice? How could I have missed it? What mm. a cock. <laughs> you know, uh, no, I fucking loved her lyrics. I Actually, one of the tunes we did was quite good, but the other one was just so pop. Um, and it's totally my fault, you know, kind of horrible grey sound in the backing tracks. Nice. Uh, right. But, you know, I just missed that lovely voice. I didn't realise sure. that actually the strength in this girl is, is down there. It's in her. It's in, you know, I knew her lyrics were stunning. Absolutely stunning. Her last she album, just, uh, Norman, was it Norman fucking Rockwell? Yeah, Norman Absolutely fucking brilliant. Rockwell, yeah. I mean, that great, was great. great. But always, always, even on the stuff where it's not obvious how brilliant lyrics are, they're brilliant. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely yeah, yeah. brilliant lyricist, consistently brilliant. But what's, what's amazing for our listeners is you are one of the most, probably the top two or three most successful songwriters of the last 15 years in the UK. And even you have got a hit rate of what, three, four percent? Fuck, at best. At best. Yeah. You know, I mean, stuff gets on, on records. Probably one in four or one in five of the songs gets on a record, but it just goes straight in the bin these days. Right. You yeah, know. but to get on the record, let's not underestimate that. That's a, that's a, that's a difficult thing to do yeah. when you're in the game. No, I'm still in the game. So anyway, so on one side is the humiliation that I can't, you know, I was just listening this morning <laughs> to Teenage Dirtbag. You know, it's just... What a great it's record. Fu fucking great. Christ, it's good. One hit one you know, is... The, the opener, but I mean, just the opener. Uh, what yeah. is it? It's just immediately starts with sharp seven. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. That's it. It's just immediately out of the box it's in. Um, but the chorus is just, I'm just a teenage dirtbag, baby, three times in a row. And I don't even give a fuck. Yeah, the fourth line yeah, it's is... like 20 uh, minutes later. Listen to yeah, Iron yeah, yeah. Maiden, baby. Oh, yeah! But what a fucking fourth line, God. And then like 20 minutes later, it's still in my head. You know, and I'm listening to it and going, why do I repeatedly shoot myself in the face with all this stupid complexity? Why can't I nail it in one line? Time and for just some get more analysis, I think, Egg. Yeah, but you're right. That's the other side of the coin. Yeah, it's, it's an acceptance that what I lack in economy, which I really do, and... That thing of nailing the line, you know, I just would love those skills. But, you know, then on the other hand, I've just got to go, well, the good news is, you know, I still like the work. Yeah. I'm still determined to surprise myself. That's the biggest thing. I'm determined to, to, to just, you know, even in a bad way, but just to be to go, oh, I didn't, didn't see that coming. Yeah, that that's really feels important to me. There are lots of examples, I think, to counter what you're saying, where you have nailed the line. I mean, Leave Right Now is a pretty uh, strong line, memorable line from a song. And, you know, yeah, I don't you even remember. Me I mean, I remember writing it again. That was really quick. Yeah. That was really quick. But that sounds like a classic. You know, so that could have been written any time again over the last 40 years. You know, and it, it almost sounded like, in a good way, it sounded like a cover to me in the sense yeah. that, oh, is that, written is that a new will young song there or has that been written and he's covered it and we never heard you know it's a cover of something which wasn't a hit 20 years ago because it's so classic yeah. in its structure and its form i was desperate when that was written i'd got signed to a publishing deal and had taken a lot of money right on the basis of a girl called jade who was really good and she got signed to columbia for a million dollars which back then was a lot of money yeah um and it was you know we were every record completely failed and it was suddenly looking like I'd been given a huge amount of money, 200,000 quid for nothing. And I wasn't going to be able to trade at that level. And I'd spent two years trying to kind of make good on this huge investment put in me by Mike McCormack at Universal, which was looking like a really bad investment from his point right. of view. And 
And then I got this dream call to write a Christmas single for Gareth Gates and spent four days trying to write it and got one shitty line. And then in desperation, Leave Right Now was written on the Friday between wow. about three and six o'clock. And it was written out of lots of bits of other people's songs. You know, I was definitely thinking the verse should be a little bit like I Will Always Love You by, um, by Dolly Parton. And yep. the chorus just, I don't care how, but it just has to go up, up, <laughs> right, up, yeah. fucking up. Um, so um, it wasn't a case of I'll grab my bags and leave right now because I'm not going to deliver. Was it? Was it kind of throwing it, your head I, in your hands? I can't even remember writing the chorus. Actually, I can't remember huh. where the words came from. Um, but it was very quick. It was quick. I can't remember yeah. where the words came. But I agree. That's a good line. It was a nice line. It was a nice Fantastic. take on it. Yeah. yeah and and, I and don't again, that finishes dinner. on the roots as well. Or like same as chasing payment. They both finish. That finishes. I think you're in S sharp, aren't you? But I think I better leave right yeah. now. I mean, it finishes on the roots yeah, again, which is yeah, unusual. On you know. the root. Well, the verse is roots. So the verse is country. The first is country. Right. It really is country music. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. thinking Dolly Parton, Clarity. Um, uh, talking of Clarity, yeah. let's go. Let's just go back to uh, Chasing Pavements. Yeah. Well, I know uh, you come from a family of str- string players. Yeah. And I just wondered, when it comes to scoring a string arrangement, do you do it yourself? Are you are you hands on? Yeah. Fuck yeah. 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 And for Chasing Pavements, that's that's your arrangement. Yeah. What happened was I got word via Lizzie that Will Malone was doing the arrangement on Hometown. Um, And everyone knows Will Malone's in and out in 25 minutes. And it's a three-hour session Scott booked uh, at Angel. It was at Angel Studios. Right. And back then, word on the street was, yeah, Will will be in at 7 and he'll be out at (laughs) 7.25. Are you meaning he's really Um, good or he's a little He's really good and he's really quick. And he's just, you know, he's written the arrangement and he'll be on it and it'll be the third take and everyone will be right on it and it's a good room and it's a three-hour sessions booked and basically there's two hours 35 minutes sitting there which i can use for no payment um so so then i wrote arrangements on all three adele songs for that for that free slot you know i didn't have to pay for it It didn't come off my debit balance or anything um and yeah so it was that turn my heart to stone and tired so I just wrote three arrangements for those three. So obviously you have scoring skills. Did did you yeah. go to college? No, didn't go to college. I know what the range of the instruments is. Yeah, yeah. Right. I really like classical music. That's what I play. You were saying, yeah. what do I play for pleasure? I play slow movements from music written t- typically between 1850 and 1940 is my kind of favourite with a, a smattering of Baroque. Yeah. Uh, I really like that Polish composer, Gorecki, actually. He's later. I adore his work. Some of the really unknown stuff, as well as the Symphony for Sorrowful Songs, there are three or four pieces that are just staggering. Wow. He's really good. Fuck, he's good. I think he's dead. But Talking of that, yeah. we just been, my daughter's learning, and she's 11-year-old, and I was a pianist. From, I think you were a pianist from the age of four, weren't you, I read? Yeah, four, yeah. Well, same here. I learned something called Suzuki Method. and I was Yeah, so did I. My mum was a teacher. Oh, okay. Well, uh, who is... Okay, fine. Helen well, Brunner. Might... But it's not oh, my mum, Helen. but... Helen oh. was Helen taught my mum. How funny! Well, I was Anne Turner, who was the cool. lady who bought the piano. So yeah, I was very funny. One of the, she was one of the first piano teachers. Um, and my daughter now learns with sorry, very very tangential here, but my daughter now learns with Anne's assistant from thirty five years ago, Amanda, who at the time was in when I knew her. She was like eighteen years old and just an assistant, and now she's in you know, her yeah, mid late fifties. Lovely. But <laughs> we've just been doing Greek. Uh, what's it called? No- Nocturno, which was never in the book when I was learning it. Um, but that is a proper sort of romantic and, you know, and she's 11 years old and 
trying to play it, but it's. I was never really into it because when you're 11 years old or 12 years old playing it, it just goes over your head. You learn the notes and you play it. However, but now you sort of 30 years later, I appreciate it and actually enjoy mm. listening to the music. And we, yeah, it's quite tense teaching a, a child uh, an instrument. I don't know if you do that with, but uh, actually, yeah. I was a cunt. three of my kids yeah well i know i think that's what i am yeah you know a total bastard i'd lie back on the sofa and they'd be doing it and it was piano all three of them and i just put all three of them through ring room you know yeah you know i seem all nice and fluffy bunny but i was a bastard for kids absolutely and they all go dad you were just a cunt you know i'd lie back and but are they grateful now that you taught them to play no, none of them played piano. Kitty, the middle one, will be. She won't play it anywhere near me, but she's a really nice player. Mm. Uh, but the other two gave up just because I was such a bastard. Wow. I'd lie back on the sofa and I'd just be reading The Week. You know The Week, that magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd be reading it and they'd play the phrase and I'd go, yeah, well, four till halfway through and it was a two. Yeah, I'd just rate it, you know, but, you know, cruelly and needlessly unpleasantly. I wouldn't get angry. I'd just go, no, do it again, 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 again. Um, but the kid, Kitty, the middle one, got through, and she's a really nice player now. But the other two, I was just, I don't know. No, yeah, I they, was they, not a good teacher. They, have the fr- nice. they always say that anyone can get to a very good standard. I, I sort of don't believe that, because both mine learned. So one of them's you know, a good drummer but couldn't do piano, and the other one's carried on and done it very well. And we did exactly the same with both of them. And I think it's, there, is a, there is something as, as natural talent. I don't believe that everything yeah, is no, just... Yeah, no, I do go completely. Uh, you know, you know, in terms of coordination, our three are completely different. Middle one's well-coordinated, the other two just aren't. I was just wondering about uh, chord progressions. Are there some you reuse? Or is every song completely fresh? Or are there some little tricks that you revisit? No, afraid. God willing, it'll be fresh. I mean, really, truly, God willing. You know, if I find... The trouble is, I really like some of those songs from that period. But nobody those chord sequences you know occasionally i'll fly try and get with them it's funny isn't it also i now realize where a lot of those chord sequences came from do you remember there's that odyssey song if you're looking for a way out oh, yeah. i won't stand in your way Ooh. anyway i realized god you know i heard that again about a year ago and realized oh i took so much from that song so bloody much really um yeah oh, it's amazing Christ, listen to it it's a stunning song it's amazing how certain songs stick in your mind for years even if you, you just forget about yeah, it and I then know. you realise yeah Brilliant Trees wow. that's another one by, by David Sylvian that really made yeah. a deep impression um, you know okay. in short you know I'm a working guy there are times when you can when, it, when you can do certain things and then there are times where you just can't do it you know times when the right trick is one four five mm. or there are times when the real right trick is one and other times when the real right trick is nothing at all. Yeah. You know, just, just drums and voice, you know, is the ideal. That's like the holy grail mm. if you can pull that off. And sometimes, you know, sometimes we do. Sometimes it's just no music at all. Yeah. Um, see if we can do it with rhythmic in- ingenuity. And then sometimes you're right. It's these labyrinthine things. But there was a period where between 2003 and 2008 when people seemed to briefly reward those labyrinthine songs. And I made hay. <laughs> Isn't less that your styles changed and more that the tastemakers who are the gatekeepers at the companies who are deciding what record Lots goes of things out happen. next? All yeah, of yeah. it, all of it. It's always a complicated picture. Yeah. You know, in terms of a style changing, I remember whenever that song, I got a feeling and um, and all the hits for Lady Gaga happened. Mm. Like Black Eyed Peas. Yeah, so Black Eyed Peas record, the Lady Gaga first album. Mm. I remember all of that stuff happening. I was driving out to Suffolk. We'd already, I'd made the money. So we bought the house. At that point, 
I'd made it, I'd spent it, I'd been rewarded, I was king of the world, it was all lovely. Um, and I get in my car to drive out, see the family at the beginning of the summer. Um, and I listen to Capital Radio up to the N25, at which point it fades, and then I listen to yeah. Radio 1. And by the time I got out to Suffolk, I realised I'm fucked. It was over. Uh, it's over. You know, it was an exact moment. Yeah, it was, a, yeah, it was yeah. A middle of July. I don't know whenever that, whenever those records came out, when Poker Face came out, all that kind of thing. You didn't yes. think By you could time, chase it? It's over. Yeah, I chased it, but I wasn't really very good at it. But also, the Black Eyed Peas that is really aggressively basic, and I think almost on purpose. I mean, the the synth sound is almost like a saw wave. The the yeah. chords couldn't be simpler, G to C, and it's almost a, it's almost like a challenge, isn't it? Not you know to for simplicity. Yeah, and but it it's works. funny too. It's, what, it's, it's you know, it's Don't on the other axis, brilliantly. isn't it? The conversational axis, sure. you know. Um, no, it totally did it well. works. Um, yeah, yeah. It's knowing. But, yeah. Anyway, I, I, I drive out and all the Plan B stuffs going on, but yeah. I and it's great, you know. And I'm listening to the music, and I just know, I just know it's over, you know. That that wow. that, that I, I've and that either I change my tricks, which I did do, but. It's somehow not convincing. If there are other people who've been working on those tricks for years and they're just already, sure. you know, three quarters of the way down the pitch. Um, now, um, you often produce uh, the records you write uh, with with the artists. Yeah, songs, yeah. Now, have there been moments where other people have produced your songs and you go like, "Oh shit, you got you've you've got the you've got the chords wrong," yeah. or? Or are there moments when somebody else has produced it and you've gone out and you've thought, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, you've both. found something new. More of a former than the latter. So yeah, <laughs> both. yeah. Sometimes you realise the subtlety yep. of the song has, has uh, just left the room. Sometimes it's just one note. I remember there was an Ellie Goulding song and it was just one note. I'm like, can I please just get that A flat back in there? It's not a C minor. It's got an A flat in it. Yeah. Mm. Please, please. It's everything hangs on it. It's just, it's yep. actually a four with a three in the bass. It's a first version, whatever. It's yeah, minor, yeah. you know. It's, yeah, yeah. Please, please. And the answer was no. You know, and maybe it didn't make any difference to anyone else. It made a big bloody difference to me. With Will Young, I upbraided his MD at Will's party. Uh, not Will's party, it was the 19 party. Um, right. For a song called Who Am I? And it was the same thing. He's misinterpreting it as a C minor. And it's not. It's a, Anyway, um, and I really gave him some shit for it. Um, and yeah, Will was really pissed off with me. It's like, you know, no, once you write a song, it's, you know, you then have to trust the singer. It's really important that you let it go, that you don't continue to remain proprietorial. I mean, I adore Will, and I've seen him many, many times since mm. then. But we had a difference of opinion. I thought, no, I've got a right to upbraid this guy. It's just wrong. You know, mm. he's turned, turned something quite subtle into something really fucking plain. Yeah, I'm totally behind you there. I, I feel as though once the sensitivity takes a walk, well, uh, there goes your song out the door. Yeah, and sometimes it hang, hangs on one note, really on nothing. Yeah. Um, well, it's a huge difference, though, isn't it, between a a, a, yeah. a flat first inversion or a C minor? It's not the same chord. Yeah, you know? it's not, the same it's chord, not exactly. It doesn't go. It doesn't go to the same place. Yeah, you're taking the wrong road. So I I understand why why you'd be upset about it. You know, it might. And again, it it's I subtle enough. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. I get it. I, yeah, Absolutely 100%. incandescent with rage. Slight change of tack here. Uh, going to another one of your songs, uh, You Give Me Something. Um, with the production of that, there's the cr some crazy trumpets on the, on the chorus. And um, when you heard that, or was that part of your demo? All right, so uh, 
I love that record. Yes. I really love that song. I really song. like that song. I really like that song. I heard it in the supermarket about four years ago and I still really like it. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. Um, proud of that one. That one's good. Yeah. Um, and uh, that song's but, all you, isn't it? Oh, it's me and Jim. Yeah. Oh, oh sorry. I thought you'd done lyrics. No, melody Christ, on that no that's me and Jim. Right. That was, that, was, that was a wrestling match. Yeah, the trumpets. No, the trumpets were. Yeah. Basically, sometimes there are lines of things that happen. So give me something was slightly built on the back of an Amy Winehouse song that didn't get used. It was good, actually. Um, and I'm determined to get away at some point. And they came that da, 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 came off a sample CD, um, probably pitched up by like five semitones or something. Really? Yeah, so it came off a sample CD and it had worked on her tune and then her tune didn't get used. Um, and then I just thought, oh, that's the ideal thing. I'll put that in there. And it worked a bloody treat on that. Um, and we replayed it because then I lost the sample CD and couldn't right. find it. And I'm still looking for that particular sample because there was another one that was really good that went along with it. Um, but then we replayed it. I got that replayed. Right. But on that song, Martin Tarif was, had basically got the gig for producing yeah. Jim's first record. Mm. Um, and Martin did a production on Give Me Something that was not good. Um, it wasn't desperate, but it was a bit shit. Um, <laughs> and me and Martin somehow got involved in a constructive trade with each other where the deal was, because I like Martin and he likes me and, well, God willing, maybe he hates me. But anyway, um, we, we knew each other well and it was a kind of gentleman's agreement, let the best man win. So look, Martin, can I have your strings and you can have my brass? And then whoever <laughs> wins, wins. <laughs> so I had his strings, which were taken by this guy, David, anyway, whatever, David Davidson had taken them in his studio. And they were lovely strings, really nice. So they were scored and written by David Davidson and recorded in Martin's studio. And I'd taken the brass in my front room up here in Shepherd's Bush. Um, so I gave him the files on that and he gave me the files on his. Um, and I don't think any credit, I, I won, thank God, because it was a lot better. Um, but he won a couple of others that I would have successfully, that I would have rather. So you were producing from the other side of town. You were, you were exchanging production ideas. Yeah, yeah Shepherd's Bush oh, and Notting right. Hill, yeah. Okay. On this one, well, not really on this one, it's just, it was just an agreement that we would trade mm. those particular files. That you know, From my side of things, it's, I, I don't stand to lose anything because... If he wins, well, at least he's got every tool available to him, was my thinking. And from his side, maybe it was the same. Um, but, of course, I have nothing to lose because i still got the publishing, whereas he has everything to lose. Good uh, point. And for people outside of the music industry listening, if you write the song, then whenever the song is performed, no matter who produced it or which, which singer recorded it, you, you receive a royalty. You earn the copyright. So you get paid performance royalty. And typically much more than but the producer. If you are the producer of that particular recording, that particular record, then you will see uh, a royalty from the physical sales for the downloads, but it's not going to be as long-lasting as being the writer yeah, and these owning days the copyright. It, yeah. No, probably, should, yeah. So basically in the old days when the CD was sold, the producer got paid. The songwriter got paid a bit, but not that much. But when it's played on the radio... Only the yep. songwriter gets paid, the producer doesn't get paid, or n a nominal amount. And, of course, sometimes the singer isn't the writer of the song, and 
so they don't receive yeah. royalty and that could cause some upset. We'll be uh, doing a spin-off podcast called How to Make It in the Music Industry, featuring yeah. uh, Phil and Ed. How to lose friends <laughs> in, in the music yeah, industry. How to lose friends in the music That's easy in the music industry. Do you... Um, when your songs are, I mean, my kids discovered your music really from Glee because they were obsessed. I think wow. they watched all. I think Did they I watched haven't eight, got a song on Glee. Well, you've got Chasing Pavements on there, I think. Really? About series three or four, yeah. Oh. It was all, but that's how they that. knew the song because I, I always tell them what song we're doing next it's week. It's a terrible oh, version, right? Probably, actually, there's, well, the singing on Glee is always first class. I mean, so the. A lot of the time, the backing tracks are, are either completely different or I think a complete facsimile of what was done originally. And I think, I think they, I have to look again because it was a while since I saw it. But they, they went through all eight series or whatever it was. It was a knockoff arrangement, I think. But they, you know, they, they do it very well and it's quick. They don't always do the whole song. But uh, that's how my kids now have an encyclopedia record collection of sort of, you know, from the 80s to the early 2000s because they do a lot oh. of good songs, you know. Um, it's not a bad way of learning, I don't suppose. Just going off on a slight tangent, um, uh, one of your collaborators, Jimmy Hogarth, who, who we had a, uh, as a guest on the podcast, he mentioned you've got a particularly um, loose style of playing the drums, a particularly individual way of playing the drums. Nice. And uh, <laughs> I nice. Just, just, yeah, I just wondered if you um, wanted to talk us through that. Do you just go for it? Yeah, I just go for it. Um, I mean, there are some drummers are just stunning. I, my favourite of all is Zigaboo from uh, Meters. He's my total favourite of all time. Oh, okay. um, the hardest to follow drummer of any. It's just a completely different way of thinking. Um, I'm really interested, actually, in truth, by how differently things are done in different points in time, different cultures. You know, there was an amazing mm. culture in New Orleans at that point in time. It's like the very opposite. The way he plays drums is the complete opposite of, let's say, you're a standard rock drummer. Um, you know, that, that it's all about extreme openness. Um, and somehow it's just about a big bodily bubble, like this yep. kind of thing going and nothing repeats. It's the opposite of defensive drumming. I basically, wow. I don't like defensive, defensive drumming. drumming. I've never heard of that. Do you mean like, uh, kick you know, snare, I've got this snare. other thing too. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing is I'm mad about the left foot. If you get, you know, but in back in the old days, you know, if, if you like the rock drumming really came out of big band drumming yep. and big band drumming, the pulse is always held by the left foot. The hi-hat foot mm. is going. They're not marking it with their right hand. They're marking time with their left foot. So the left foot's going and there's much more use of the tom-toms. And it's like it's more of an open body thing. But the left foot is the one constant that is keeping the, the, the rhythm going. And John Bonham was a left foot master. But when you listen to his hi-hats, do you know what I mean? It's like they smear. And the reason they're smearing is because he's hitting them gently at the same time as playing with his left foot. But you need coordination like no human I've ever met to pull that off. I think a lot of drum sounds dictated by the techno technology at the time. So when the 80s, you got a lot more fidelity coming through in the recordings and you ended up with like, you know, the zenith of the police sort of recording every, every, on every yeah. breath you take, every hi-hat separately from the bass drum, from the snare drum, because they yeah, could. Yeah, but listen to the first two police albums. Sure. Those are the best bloody band playing in human history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the third, fourth and fifth are just the shittest fucking yep. things <laughs> on the planet. It's gone. <laughs> left the building they were a band jesus they were a band yes, and then yes, sting yes. won and killed his two neighbors <laughs> Who, who's made a fresher sound than the police in the last 40 years don't know. i thought nirvana were basically owed more to the police than they ever owned up to no one would ever say yep, that nirvana have a debt for police but i thought they really yep. did hmm. um 
but the Jimi Hendrix band too. I mean, these are rhythm sections from heaven. Yeah, but yeah, Copeland. Yeah. Copeland was absolutely amazing and musically amazing too. Yeah, well, he's a song, a uh, score writer, isn't he, for movies yeah. and things? But yeah. on that second record, you know, there's a song that goes, I brush my teeth ten times before I take you on a date. Yeah. It's him. It's fantastic. It's a brilliant song. On any other day, it's a brilliant song. And it's Copeland. Uh, we always like to have a little section where we discuss uh, the YouTube uh, comments below the video. And we call it What People Are Saying About Your Song Below the Comments in the YouTube section. Mm. We like that because it's a snappy title. Nice. So it's snatchy. Firstly, snatchy. just to say, it's not exactly, exactly. It's a fantastic video, anyway. Uh, and if you haven't seen it, you should check it out. Uh, but this is what Eleanor and the Baby Shark said about the song eight months ago. She's at a crossroads. She loves him, but if she continues to love him, they'll both end up crashing like that couple caught in an accident. However, if she walks away, she'll find herself, but lose her love in the process. Deep. <laughs> Not a bad description, potentially. <laughs> E.B. Moore says, it took me 10 effing years to realise this was actually a good song. <laughs> Bryce says, no matter what anyone says to me, Chasing Pavement is Adele's best song. I love it more than Hello, her newest single. Oh, well, that was four years ago. Yeah, well, she's not wrong on that. It is her best song. Oh, okay. Well, she, um, I'm not saying it's her best song, but Hello <laughs> is not my favourite. No, no, me, Hello it was not about her best. The second album is the one. That's, that's absolutely Beautiful. stunning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Eamon says, one of the most underrated songs ever. This is like raw emotion, an amazing song. And then Ricardo says, this song smoked a lot of blunts with me at one point. Oh, and then Abdella writes below that, lol. Um, <laughs> Nick says, I remember hearing this when it first got released and I literally stopped what I was doing and thought to myself, who is this? I told loads of people about it, said you could be a star. Then 21 came out and everyone went nuts. If I was this accurate all the time, I'd be a millionaire. Um, and we'll just finish it off with Hexatomic, who says, I used to think it was Chasing Cavemen. Yeah. No, Chasing, chasing Cavemen. Cave, cavemen. Okay. <laughs> Which I suppose actually would also work. I mean, for a certain style of woman, maybe, but <laughs> it looks very different meaning. Uh, one final question. Egg, where do you keep your Grammy? Oh, I haven't got one. What? I've fucking been twice and twice I haven't won one. It's I, honestly, there's no feeling sadder than walking out of a Staples Centre on your own across oh. L.A. without having one twice in a row now. I feel your pain. It's really a lonely thing. It's a sad old thing. You know, you've got God, I had a really risque thing I was going to say about what an honour it was to win, win a Grammy in a city that had produced more music than I'd been ripping off of these last right. <laughs> Yeah, I can't remember. It was a little, it was sharp and to a point. I thought it won um, uh, best vocal performance no, I might have done but no oh, maybe it did but maybe you don't get an award for that I got a piece of paper okay it could have, I got a piece of paper you've won a few Ivan Novellos in your time I got now, two I yeah I had two yeah so where are they uh, one I think is in our bedroom and one's in the bookcase up in Suffolk very nice I reckon I won the second one because I think the panel was divided about whether to give it to Adele or Duffy and in the end they gave it to a link between the two and ah. that is why you should never have panels um, adjudicating on who gets prizes because deep you end up choosing compromises. Um, anyway, I was delighted to win it and I'm certainly not giving it back. Well deserved, my friend. Well, on that note, um, listen, thank you ever so much for joining us. It's been very enlightening. We'll, <laughs> thank uh, you, pleasure. It has been really we'll, we'll, great. You've been so uh, generous and forthright and honest with your opinions. Um, that's been really enjoyable. Of which I have many. <laughs> that's, what, that's what we that's want. Great. Thanks so much. 
Well, we've reached the end of another episode of Song Stripper. Thank you so much to Egg White for a fascinating and insightful discussion. Thank you from myself, Tim Jackson and Phil Thornalley and with help from Andrew Campbell. Please don't forget to download, like, rate and review us from wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to keep looking out for the next episode of Song Stripper. Song Stripper.